This is Erased. I'm Colette Bauer-Zinn. And this is Lisa Johnson. Two Black moms bonded by bluntness, tenacity, and an unwavering commitment to creating communities of support. Every Thursday, we're exploring where the intersections of education, race, and culture collide, dissecting interracial issues to help you navigate and thrive, despite being marginalized. Welcome back to E-Race Podcast. I am your co-host, Colette Bauer-Zinn, sitting right next to Lisa Johnson. Welcome back, sis. Hi. How you doing? I am doing well. We have another fabulous guest with us today, although he's becoming uh, not so much of a guest anymore. We have Stephen the Prof. Cleveland, activist, filmmaker, and professor of Black Studies at Cal State East Bay. The astronaut is back in the building. How's everybody? Happy to be here. Ooh, show your voice, right? (laughs) (laughs) You didn't sound like that five minutes ago. (laughs) People need to know this is my voice. Oh boy! Woo! (laughs) All right. Well, I do want to address really quickly Mm -hmm. that we are recording an episode ahead. So we are not addressing the election right now because we don't know the results. I feel the need to say that because people will be this will be the episode we were releasing the week after. I'm glad you thought of that because I had not. Right. And so we're definitely going to have opinions, just not in this particular episode. So tune back in to hear what happens and what we think. Hope you voted. (sighs) I, 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 I need more than hope. Take your ass to vote. It's an important piece of the problem. It's an important piece of the problem. I had this conversation uh, with with one of my students, and I was like, you know, it's okay to have an opinion, but if you don't share that opinion with nobody, then it don't mean shit. <laughs> it's like, so the importance of voting is really about saying, like, here's my opinion, and here's the stands. Uh, and, and with that opinion, then you're able to make, make some, you know, you can debate it, you can talk about it, but until you articulate it, nobody even know what you got in your head. I really feel like people are voting this year, though. Oh, in record numbers. Right, right, right. we got people doing That's early voting scaring me. <laughs> in numbers more so than yeah. the full-fledged voting yeah. last election. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. Buckle up. Tune in next week so we can talk about it. Amen. What are we talking about today? So, last week, a spotlight was shined on implicit bias when news reports surfaced of Prince Harry's recent interview with Black Lives Matter activist Patrick Hutchinson, during which he said, quote, Unconscious bias, from my understanding, having had the upbringing and the education that I have, I had no idea what it was, Harry said. I had no idea it existed and then, sad as it is to say it took me many, many years to realize it, especially then living a day or a week in my wife's shoes. Prince Harry did not know what implicit bias is. So we are talking today for the many people who do not know what implicit bias is, who has it, all the work that needs to be done around it. And we're going to talk about that. Yes, a lot of our discussion will be based off of um, information that we're sharing from the article. Is this how discrimination ends? Trainings and workshops geared toward eliminating people's hidden prejudices are all the rage, but many don't work. Interesting. Coming out of the Atlantic in May of 2000, excuse me, May 2017. When did you first hear this term? It's an interesting question. I first heard the term working at Wildwood School almost eight years ago. Yeah. I think it was for me almost five years ago, but it was very much in passing. 
And it also was in the school setting. And so I asked that question because I think most people, if they're not in academia, I'm really wondering. I mean, now, now I think more and more people know about it. But I wonder, I think there are a lot more people that are new to this term than not. Correct. Which is why we're talking about it. So what is it? So implicit bias is uh, something that, that I came to grips with when my undergrad, my, my undergrad degree was in African-American studies at UCLA, and we talked a little, a lot about it in, a, in the context of critical race theory, uh, which is sort of the ideal that racism exists in all systems, right? And it's something that's controversial to those who have not experienced it and apparent to those people who have experienced it. And it, and it lives in bias. It's the notion that uh, I think a CNN... Kaiser Foundation polls uh, show that 68% of white folks' best friends are white, uh, and that 36% of black folks and 37% of Hispanic folks' best friends are of the same race. Mm. And so it points out the reality that most of the people spend time with folks who are like them, but in this society where whiteness is normalized, that even among black folks, they still have white friends, right? Because you see them as a possibility. It's the reality that Julia Roberts represents beauty uh, for all people, right? She is right. a representation of beauty for all folks. So people feel comfortable with that, but Lucy Liu does not represent beauty for all people. So Lucy Liu, and it plays out in particular within people of color who don't generally watch films that are made about other ethnicities, but they feel comfortable watching films that have mainstream stars in it. And so it's this notion of normalizing whiteness towards the end of excluding yourself in that picture of what normal is reflected as, right? And it it plays out uh, in in a lot of places from uh, the way we choose relationships to the places we choose to live at, to the schools that we go to, and ultimately the relationships that we have and and the families that we make are oftentimes there. I think uh, 2013 studies said that 12% of folks marry outside of their race, despite the fact that the hype tells us much differently. Mm-hmm. The reality is most people intermarry mm-hmm. uh, because that is a part of the implicit bias to like folks who are like you. Right. And, and so that's sort of my understanding of it. So a little bit more context. Patricia Devine is a psychology professor and director of the Prejudice Lab. So 30 years ago, she basically demonstrated that even if people don't believe racist stereotypes are true, those stereotypes, once absorbed, can influence people's behavior without their awareness or intent. And so that has then become the definition of implicit bias. What, yeah, so that even if you don't believe that racist stereotypes are true, that those stereotypes, once absorbed through media, stories, et cetera, can influence people's behavior without their awareness or intent. Right. I just, the, the word implicit really sticks out. And I, I know that's some. I will the, also note that the terms implicit and unconscious bias are interchangeable used. Or, or used interchangeably, yeah. I should say. I like unconscious so much better. Well, interestingly enough, we will we'll, we'll get to that specifically in a minute, but want to talk about... Go for it. No, I was just going to ask, I mean, why do you, why isn't it just bias? I think it's about intention. Right. I think it's about intention. But implicit, to me, says it's like implied, right? And that there's not, it's not as subconscious. I think that's why I like unconscious so much more. I just think it's, I think it's a descriptor. I do think it's a descriptor and I don't, I don't necessarily feel it's important. I feel like it's bias. 
I think the idea of it is, I think that a lot of folks who argue against it, right? So there is a school of thought that argues against it. So the the, the conservative arguments against critical race theory and implicit bias is a notion that it, it biases people or bigots people against white folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea of implicitness is saying that it's within the thing without it being of intention. I think that's my understanding of the mm-hmm. definition of exactly. implicit. So it's not saying that, uh, I don't know the saying, saying that it's plain and simple. I think it's that it's implied without acknowledging that 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 implied nature of it. But it seems to dismiss the fact that it could be overt bias. But that's two separate things. So then it's not implicit bias. Correct. Right. <laughs> Like so, so Cheryl Statt talked about it. Does that, so in, she did an article on it was understanding implicit bias, uh, and it was in American Educator. And it talked about the notion of intention as a thing that a lot of people try to differentiate. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't intend it, so you can't hold me accountable. Right. <laughs> and so the idea of implicit bias speaks to that. It's like, well, you don't have to intend it right. for it to happen and to have consequences. I, I can be homophobic. I can be anti-woman. I can be anti-LGBTQ. Like, I, I, I can be anti a lot, a- anti-poor people, <laughs> anti-educated anti-educa- people. Yeah. I can have those biases without even intending to. Uh, and it really speaks to that. Her, her article speaks to that notion of intention not being a prerequisite for the bias to exist. Right. And so that's one of the questions I have. Does the existence of implicit bias diminish personal responsibility? Because there's a lot of practitioners out there that have concerns that the idea that some biases are unconscious can give people reasons to back away from accepting responsibility and for changing them. I think that's why I don't like the word imply. I mean, implicit. Well, I guess it's it's all about figuring, well, what are we going to do with it, right? And, and I think, you know, I, I am always, I'm moved in this moment by MLK and the idea that the truth is the truth, even if it doesn't right. fit with the way you vision things, right? Right. And so I'm saying that I think that people are trying to understand how it works. And yes, it works sometimes without people being knowledgeable of it. And it means that you cannot then it, it means that you don't can't take a macro approach to it, a micro approach to it. You have to take a macro approach to it. So implicit biases have to be dealt with at the systematic level. Yeah, it can't be dealt with on an individual level, like because both it's, and well, both. I'm saying yeah. that it can't be. I said that the, the decisions about how you impact an individual have to be systematic. They can't be about an individual. It has to be about the system, and then the corrections are there. So you say, hey. In this prescribed system, let's say our head of schools need to have these ways of seeing the world. And if they don't see it this way, then we can hold them accountable individually for not being in line with what we need them to be. So the decisions and the ideas about what the optimal society, the way to deal with these implicit biases have to be made at a macro level uh, in order for the change to be made. Because if you just attack a person for not doing it, it doesn't change the system. And so just replacing a head of school with another head of school without changing the culture, then you don't get the big chain that you're looking for. And I think that's the reason why, uh, you know, I look at it as a macro issue. Yeah. It meant the article highlighted that, too. And uh, they were talking to Joel Emerson, who's the CEO of Paradigm, which is a Silicon Valley consultancy. And she said that long term change has to come through overhauling workplace systems and processes. Mm-hmm. So systems and processes, not relying on individuals, because even the most well-designed training is not going to solve things by itself. You have to reinforce ideas within broader organizations. I feel like that really excuses the individual 
Amen. That's why I said both and. Yes. Yes. And and back to what we were originally saying, that's why my favorite thing is intent versus impact when when it comes to personal accountability. Like I'm not over here saying that uh, because you have we all have implicit biases that that makes you a bad person, but you're still acting on them and the impact can be negative. So whether or not you want to take ownership of them, we all need to so as to. You just articulated why I'm pushing for just bias because intent is it's nice to know. I think that this is one of those things where um, if it's just bias, then people will get stuck on that's not my intent. And and I didn't I'm not. So the focus. I'm not a racist here back in the I'm not a racist. But when you can throw unconscious or implicit in front of it, it softens it so that people are more willing to take a look when we can say, oh, but. This is just some right. learned stuff through <laughs> media and experiences. You were born into this. And, yes. We're not calling you racist, but you do have some racist tendencies, but not consciously. I just don't like that it's become a, a catchphrase. Like I just I feel like it's like a trendy little buzz phrase. Which is which is super interesting because one of the things that I wrote down and part of this article is that the woman that you mentioned, Patricia Devine, you ask her nowadays and she says that she wishes she never created the cool. term implicit bias. She likes unintentional bias. Correct. I just think that we have to look at how do we move forward, right? And I think yeah. that for me, you know, getting stuck on an individual level has never been a, a pathway to real change. Amen. And so I think that there's a lot of imperfect human beings that are doing a lot of things. I talk about head of schools. I'm talking about mm-hmm. administrators because we're like educate. Like that's part of this sort of conversation. Yeah. It's about how does impact education. And the reality is, is that, you know, sometimes replacing them means you may get people who have different sets of implicit biases yeah. in different areas. Right. And so it's really important to engage in the idea of changing culture, culture is a macro yes. thing. And I think that has to be the focus when you're trying to implement sustainable, transformative change Absolutely. in these spaces. We can't get caught up in the individual because the truth is that we all have things, right? Individually, we have blind spots. Yep. I, 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 maybe not you, but me. Yes, I must definitely live in it. Right? You're not human not if like you don't that. have blind spots. And so the truth is, to me, this idea of articulating implicit bias is the ability to say, hey, we're going to have a conversation about a blind spot you may have. Yeah. And so it gives a space for a person to be humble Uh, It offers a space for humility. And if that person is willing to do the work, a place to come out the other side, a a better person, right? A better person and and a contributor to a society that is better on a macro level. And I think that's the work we have to do. I mean, I'm not saying that it's our job to change and fight for everybody there. But I also believe that people who are committed to education already have something more in common with us than people who have not chosen that job, right? Because they have all they they have something about them. Yeah, they they have them. money, and we don't see no. <laughs> I'm no, just playing because they got, they got a husband taking care of them like that. Is that I'm what you're just joking. Man. No, I'm, I'm just... saying that like anybody to make that sacrifice and that commitment has a love for something yeah. that we have love for, and I think the idea of those of us. And I'm speaking of people who are in the DEI work, the people who are uh, into looking at the system of education and how we make it better. Uh, those are allies that I want to have. Like, but they Amen. have to be open to accepting that they 
have things to change and that they have things to learn. Why? Because we all have things to change. Yeah. Does implicit bias mean that we're all racist? It could be, in a simplistic way, yes. You could say that. We all are impacted by it. I mean, in the same way that I say I'm a recovering sexist, I would venture to say both of you are recovering sexist. We had this conversation in the last yes. visit. But the reality is we all are presented with this idea of what women are supposed to do, right? right? And fight that notion. It's like, do you ever find yourself doing stuff for your kids and you think to yourself, why the heck am I doing this? Why? Because you've been told that this is what mamas do. Right. Mamas sacrifice their own pleasure for their children's, you know, whatever. Where's husband at the moment? when this is happening oftentimes goes in through the head like why am I here and he's not here but it's not expected these are the things that we do and I think that, that our society is built on these levels of expectations which are sort of presented as tradition right these are traditions these are the ways that we do things but those things are enforcing this idea of monolithicness that doesn't allow for individuals to be who they want to be and to determine for themselves how they want to so I want to derail us a quick bit with that question I just asked you, because I had a listener reach out and tell me that when he heard on the podcast that one of the guests said, everyone's a little racist, he cringed and we had a back and forth on it. His question ended up being, can people of color be racist? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I here's my answer. And I am a professor of black studies. We do this, right? But, <laughs> I, I, I can, but it is my opinion based off of my lived experience. I, I think Oprah Winfrey can be Racist when she's applying it to hiring practices. I think in general, black folks aren't racist because as a group, we don't have the power to implement our bigotry in the way that other oh, folks do. So I can be big. Black folks for sure can be bigoted. Right. But bigotry without power, it, it's not racism. Right. And that's my understanding. Interesting. Okay. That makes perfect sense. It does. But I want to go back to you saying if you um, that implicit bias means we're all racist. I did. So I'm saying, I, I said it impl implicit bias. It means that we all, yeah, we all are influenced I know what by you're the saying. pop culture. I know that what you're saying. Us. Yeah. Here's my thing. I think so many, obviously, so many people are afraid to be called racist. Right. Right. And so, but implicit bias makes it more palatable, makes right. it more like I can work on that. Right. I can own that a little bit more than being. Racist. I really wish people would get the fuck over themselves. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I was real, just like, about I'm, to say that. Like, really, we are all struggling to be the best people we can be. Like, I have not always been a good dad in every moment of my time of doing it. I'm committed to being a good dad. I love it. It's one of the highlights of my life. Right. Uh, but it's not like I get it right all the time. There are moments where you don't, right? And it's just the way it is. We're humans. Yes. And hopefully we humble enough. And we're lucky enough to have someone who loves us enough to pull us aside and say, hey, brother, try this. You know, and I think that's what I'm saying. I think the, the issue, and I'm going back to head of schools because I'm thinking about head of schools. I'm talking about boards. You guys had the boards on mm -hmm. before. Oftentimes they feel like they have to be the experts mm -hmm. and they don't know how to answers. take help. Right. Yeah. The reality is that, that those implicit biases that existing. Right means that we all need help and, and direction because mm -hmm. sometimes we may get lost in our blind spots, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Being human is awesome if you acknowledge the fact that you're not perfect, right? Yes. It can be like if a you good acknowledge that you're human. If you're human. <laughs> right, right. But a lot and of people... so many people cannot nope, nope, see that, do it. To me, that's the mark of true leadership. It's a mark of being a human being. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, but those labels are real and people are afraid of them. Because they're powerful, though. And I think that I do understand that some people have used them as weapons. Yeah. And I think that that has probably led folks to responding the way they respond to it. And, and I understand that. Like, I, I have been much more compassionate. I feel myself becoming much more of a centrist as I get older because I understand the struggle uh, it is to grow up in a community where you're taught that white people are better and that black people aren't as smart. And you turn on the television, it reinforces those lies, right? Uh, and so you have a lived experience where you never experienced them in real person, right? Yeah. So I understand how you end up in a place there until you met someone who shifted that worldview. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm saying that the truth is that in the same way, the liberal people who are born in California oftentimes feel the people who believe in God are idiots who are, who are lambs. And I hear this, like people say it all the mm -hmm. time. It's like, well, being a person of faith is actually not like say that you're an idiot. Like, I mean, the reality is we have faith in intellect. Like most of the people out here that I roll with are intellectual. Mm -hmm. They have faith like, I, it's right and right is right because I, I saw one plus one was two. I was like, but the truth is we are not just intellectual beings. We are also spiritual beings. And so sometimes you can follow the right path and still end up not winning. Mm -hmm. So what does that say to the person who didn't follow the right path, but they were led by spirit and they ended up winning, right? So the question is, which one is right and which one is wrong means that you have to be open to the reality that we all have those implicit biases. And some of those biases exist on the intellectual plane. Some of them exist on the spiritual plane. I think the truth is that I have been hyper-focused on my intellect for a long time, but my mama has been much <laughs> more spiritually than me. And I, my mom has been able to pay rent with prayer. I'm saying like, I have seen things happen for her. She's her faith is so strong that things come to her, right? In a way that things don't come to me when I'm hyper intellectual and sometimes come better to me when I'm able to like step back and have a little bit of faith with it. So I think that's sort of feeds into this notion of implicit bias is this notion that like we all lean towards the thing that we're good at or that makes sense to us. And so it makes us feel like the other things are whack. Like the, in order to justify our own good, we feel like other people have to be wrong, right? That's the reason mm -hmm. why uh, I would say new Christians are the worst because they apostolatize. <laughs> they go so heavy. Oh, no. They go so heavy. No, because they go so heavy because it's new to them. They just found God and they got to dismiss everybody else's beliefs in order for theirs to be true. Whereas person who's been in it for a while are like, look, brother, do what you want to do. I believe in God the way I do. And they walk their path and they illuminate with their light. And I'm much more moved by, by, by people who are settled in their Christianity who are not apostolatizing all the time, right. but they're leading by example. They show how God helped them win. That to me is much more impressive than somebody who's trying to tell, quote scripture to me. I grew up in vacation Bible school. I can go scripture with anybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, so they, like people are like trying to get me, like, oh, that ain't gonna help me. That ain't gonna help me move, right? But I'm saying that it is in that sense because you feel like if for me to be right, about Christ and everything else other people believe is wrong. And I think it's that same energy that people bring with this implicit bias. It's this notion that, you know, the way I see the world has to be right. Because if not, then it destroys who you are. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to shift who we are as beings and be open to the reality that part of who we are is imperfect. And if you embrace that, then it just really frees you up to walk differently in the world. Like, and it's like, all right, I can talk to anybody about anything and feel good about it because I'm like, wow, maybe I learned something new. Maybe you could argue it in a way that I never heard it before. So I, that's, you know, that's how I approach this notion. And the reason, and that's how I approach the work that I do, the DAI work I do in terms of 
empowering people who do have these implicit biases to say, look, I too am imperfect, right? Mm -hmm. My approach is that, like, I too have a preference for the things that are most comfortable with me. Mm -hmm. So let's start there, right? And I can share with you this education that I have about tools you can use to sort of challenge your your dark sides and, and, and also empower you spiritually, emotionally to know that I too am working on myself and I have places that I'm doing it as well. So that's my approach to talking about You still about look confused. No, actually, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, I wish we could see, I wish the listeners could see your face while you're talking. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> you're expressive, you're so animated, it's just captivating. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I love, love, love this stuff. And I'm humbled because it's so much good. Like Tyrone Howard is my favorite, favorite. He talks about how schools can foster a better racial culture. And he gives five points. He talks about the, the need to move beyond one time professional development. Mm-hmm. He said oh, that does not work. Preach. He talks about Two leaders. Need, <laughs> leaders need to lead. Right. By example, yep. not just by talking, yep. but by example. Yep. He talks about uh, the needs, black studies, he, he said, needs to be a, a part of what you're doing. So the part of the core curriculum. Uh, bystanders need to speak up. The people yes. who see stuff that doesn't look right, smell right, need to speak up. And lastly, he talks about the need for uh, parents and students to have a space where they're invited to the process. Mm. And so these are the five points he gives in his Education Week uh, article a year ago, Mm -hmm. uh, May 30th, I think it was 2019. But he talked about, uh, this is what he gave as a prescription for how we actually implement change. And these are the things that I'm saying, like once you acknowledge it, there's great tools to help you move forward to be like, wow. But once you acknowledge it. Correct. Mm -hmm. That's where I think we we get so stuck. And I actually am, I still am stuck on the implicit bias, meaning your racism, because so much meaning your racist, because so much of that is attached to power and bias is not right. Well, if you're a teacher in a classroom, you're powerful. Right. If you're an administrator at a school, you're powerful. Right. So we're not talking about people without power and we're talking about implicit bias. And yet you said it means that you are racist. I don't know. I just I'm stuck on that. I don't know why. I mean, it's not a ma- it's not a micro indoctrinization of an individual. Right. It's accepting that on a macro level, we are all racist. Yes, yes. But it's because the systems that are there to teach us. We have a picture of beauty that's presented to us by Vogue magazine. Right. Right. And now that picture shifted over time. Right. But even though black bodies are being lauded as what's sexy now, still the faces are not black. So. Body type changed from these really thin white girls, mm-hmm. which was the picture of beauty. Now, thick white girls. Mm-hmm. But yet, there's still no place for black folks in the space, right? So I'm saying that, like, you know, this is what trains us, right? Yeah. That's the reason why I hear black rappers saying that they don't mess with white, that with black women, right? There are people who talk about this in, in the public sphere, right? But that's not something that comes to them by chance. They didn't just wake up one day and say, this, I feel this because of my lived experience, right? Yeah. And part of it is the bias that's built into the mix. Yes. And so, you know, you understand about being black women and the issues of beauty, which is a whole sort of show that you could do right into that idea of beauty. Uh, And the beauty is prescribed in a way that you even buy into. Right? It's just weird sort of, I mean, it is crazy. The notions are crazy. Like I have my, anyway, I have a, you know, I have a young daughter. And and so uh, it's something that's really important to me. Like I want her to feel beautiful and sexy you know, in a ways that are super important. 
uh, as she moves off to the world and leave my house. Right? You like, know I that all fathers listening just cringe <laughs> yes. at you being comfortable saying that you want your daughter to feel sexy. Well, it's a, what's the other option for me? I want her to feel beautiful. really unattractive. No, and like, beautiful. I'm, that's, yeah, I want her to feel beautiful. No, I want her to feel sexy too because our sexuality is not something to be ashamed of. I, I don't understand. No, absolutely. Like we, you know, we as Black folks are really like, you know, it's interesting because our sexuality is often dictated by others' eyes and views of yeah. us, right? And so there's the things that have been financed. There's a financed vision of what black sexuality looked like mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what stuff shows up on TV, what shows up in music videos, what stuff shows up on films. Uh, but I want her to feel sexy. Yes, I want her to own her sexuality. I also want her to feel smart. Like, mm-hmm. I would love her to feel like she's intellectually the bomb, physically the bomb, that she's uh, spiritually and emotionally the bomb. Mm-hmm. Like, I want all that for her. And I think that I have a big role in that. Or I can give that role away to her friends at school. Right. Right. And I th- <laughs> so I think that that's the, the idea of like, a ch- I was like laughing when I was like, the idea of putting a chastity belt on my daughter. I was like, that would be awesome for me in some ways because, you know, in my head, I was like, you know, I would love, I, I would love for you to, to be, you know, safe from relationships, right? And the other issues that go with it. But the truth is the only way she's going to get better at relationships is doing it. That's the only experience that I had, right? So I wanted to be out uh, and feel empowered in it and to know that like, all right, dad, this didn't feel right. Talk to me. As opposed to being like, I can't talk to daddy because you know how he is, right? Right. (laughs) So I don't know. I just, to me, and, and it's something I worked through. It ain't something I got to you know, without nothing. I, I got through it through seeing a lot of my friends that I went to high school and college with who weren't comfortable sexually. And a mm-hmm. lot of it was because of daddy told them, don't do anything. And right. God don't like you if you do. And all of these things that like, I was like, man, that ain't healthy. I don't, <laughs> let me not be that dude. Right. You just said a lot, right? <laughs> so can you work on your biases? Can you change implicit biases? Hey man, I mean yeah. that's the whole. We can change. I mean, let me tell you the story. Like my mom tell you, this is a great story. Right? So, I, my dad is is the most impressive thing that he ever did to me was that he showed me that you can change the way you see the world. Like he most definitely changed his worldview as he got older mm-hmm. in a way that I've never ever seen other people's parents change. Like he just saw issues differently. He progressed on things. He was moved by lived experiences. It just really was like one of the most important pressing pieces of my time with him on this earth was watching him change. And it made me want to do that. It made me want to not be at the same point I am now that I'm going to be seven years from now. That's deep. I had the same exact thing with my dad. And I spoke to him about it recently um, because I wanted to um, see if he could pinpoint when that shift occurred for him and why. And we had a really fascinating conversation Mm. about it. Uh, But he serves for me as an example of the ability to change and be and grow and shift. And I, I love it. Really is. He's my really black is. Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we, we said so we come from good stock then that, that really helps in terms. And, and I try to be good stock as we moving forward. So, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 uh, you know, I think that, uh, what I say to my white brothers and sisters is that we just got to get over labels. Yes. You know, and not really, and, and just take them as, you know, rhetoric are tools 
to help us understand the world around us. It's not like these things are like everlasting damnations. It's just tools to help understand. And some things are just what they are, man. It's like, you know, I don't know. I just think the terminology, though, is just, I mean, you're absolutely right. But people harp on it. They don't know how to get out of the boxes, right? Mm -hmm. I just think like, Telling someone, oh, get over the terms is not it's not practical. And this is what I brought up when we were talking to Shelley in the allyship episode is that I I personally struggle with dealing with things like racism and then having to find the energy and wherewithal to make offering that feedback to folks who need it palatable so that they can, in quotes, hear it or accept it to then be able to acknowledge it and work hopefully to change it. Right. So let me share this. This seems, seems appropriate. So Bettina Love, great sister from Georgia. She wrote an essay on, it says an essay for teaching uh, for teachers who understand that racism is real. Right. And in this essay, she says, this is not for people who don't believe that racism is real. This is not for people who don't believe that implicit bias exists. This is an article for people who accept that and are looking for ways to be better. And I think that to yes. me is the energy that I come to people with. If your main goal is the upliftment of young people and to make the schools better, fuck your feelings, right? Mm-hmm. It's not important what I feel anymore because mm-hmm. my job is not to feel good. My job is not to feel okay and safe about me. My job is to create a space where my students are centered. And if the work and things that I'm doing that are coming out without my intentions are not centering our students, then I can't be the most important piece. And that's the problem I have. Any educator that makes it about them, when I bring it up, when I bring up a conversation about, you say, oh, but I don't, I'm not. I was like, you're talking about you again. Stop. The lack (laughs) of self-awareness, I think, is the biggest piece of all of this, right? Getting people to the point where they're able to look at themselves honestly. That, to me, is like the biggest, I don't know, that's the biggest hurdle. In life. In life, but I think it's exacerbated in the school setting because, to your point, leadership looks like you knowing. Leadership doesn't look like you being like, I don't know, i got to work on that. I have a blind spot here. And yet, (laughs) people, and this is what I learned professionally in working in education, people so much more appreciate when you Absolutely. say, I don't know, or I need to pause it and, and do some you. research and get back to you. Absolutely. I have not heard of that before. Right. Let me look into it. Right. All of it, because the long and the short of it is we know when you're saying the opposite and you actually don't. And you're human. You're human to the whole point of the conversation. Everyone has bias. We could use as, a, as an entire country and culture a little shift back to accepting humanness because we have shifted How way far into the How cancel culture. That? You make a mistake, you're out of here right. as opposed to you're human and you can learn. But that then goes back to what you were saying about intent. Like, I just need to know that you acknowledge that you're human and that your yeah. intention, especially as an educator, is to be, be do Better. and and accomplish what is best for the children. Yeah. So I will say in support of cancel culture is the point you were making earlier, which was that if what you are doing is to the detriment of our students, then you need to go. 
you can go work on yourself and maybe come back into the profession when you're done. But I can't have you here messing up our kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to love our children enough to make the sacrifice of our own egos and comfortability and have difficult conversations and to hold people accountable. Like you got to But is move. that a zero tolerance? Um, it's not a zero tolerance. It is a student-focused decision-making, right? So if the thing that they're doing is causing irreparable harm to our students, we can't, for comfortability of the adult, mm -hmm. make our children continue to sacrifice while this is going oh, on. Oh, I fully agree. And so I think yeah. that's what we're doing now. Yeah. And our want, in particular black parents, black parents and leaders of black organizations, we are way too kind to these people. We give way too much leeway to these people. And we got to say, look, I love you. We can talk it through. But these are the things you got to do right now. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for the long term answer. And that's what this often promised. I can't wait for the long term. In the short term, here's the minimum you have to do. Mm -hmm. And then we got to have a plan to get there in the long term. I'm willing to work with you, but I can't work with administrations. I can't sit by and allow our children to be victimized while they get it together. It is, it is like a sitting watching George Floyd get killed by uh, police officers and saying, and we're going to fix that again. later. We're going to go vote and do that later. No, in that moment, we had the power to save his life instead yeah. of recording it with our cameras. I'm saying that there have, we have to start saving our kids' lives. And, and, and despite what folks who are, are, are critics, and I'm absolutely happy to engage with you in conversation, but critics of this idea uh, that implicit bias exists, that critical race theory speaks the truth about how systems are designed uh, in ways that doesn't include everybody. Mm -hmm. People who have who are fighting those fights are people who are willing to allow to uh, students that are not in the center, students that are not generally centered, students that are marginalized. These are the words we use, mm -hmm. right? But what does it mean to be marginalized? It means that the curriculum is centered around a certain group of people is saying that the social norms at our schools are centered around a certain group of people is saying the way the expectations in terms of of being good or bad students is centered around a certain number of students they call cops on black kids for getting their voices raised because that's not appropriate because of the way what's centered is responding in a civilized voice. So even if I'm talking about you with my undertone, that's appropriate. Was this not something that we do? Like our parents will snap at us if we were coming with passive aggressive undertones. Mm -hmm. It's more appropriate within our community to have a complete honest response without filter so that we can get to the issues and, and deal with it, right? Deal with the conflict as opposed to, it's just a different and value. Schools are not used to that. Not School at all. leadership, I will say, are often not used to that direct communication coming from people of color right. and are often threatened when they are met with it. So I'm gonna, I realized the point, I rambled on the point here. The point was we have to be centering all students. It can't just center a certain part of the population. So what we're doing has to center all. So if I tell you that, hey, what you're doing is excluding this group and you're not moving on it, you can't tell me we're going to keep them marginalized till I can get my head around how I can implement the change. Right. Not okay. Yeah. And that's what I keep seeing. And, and that's, yeah, they don't know us. And they keep asking us to wait. Yeah, the urgency is correct. Right. 
So as we wrap this up, I want to shift us to the fact that uh, we all, did you, Lisa, take the implicit association test? You said you might not get to it. No, I, before we started recording. Oh, I didn't hear you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so Stephen I did not and I, take the test. I, I, I think you did that purposefully. Why? So <laughs> you were potentially afraid of the answer. No, stop it. I'm just teasing you. I'm so just teasing you. Did you not hear me say my internet was down all morning? Uh, That part I did hear. Okay. That part I did hear. So I should have put two and two together. My apologies. So Stephen and I took the implicit association test coming out of Harvard. It's online. You can take it. It's one of the things that pops up first when you type in implicit Implicit bias bias, to Google. So there are a whole lot of techniques to measure implicit bias associations, but the IAT, Implicit Association Test, is a reaction time test that gauges how strongly certain concepts are linked in a person's mind. It's become the most well-known and widely used. What did it tell us? (laughs) Wait, first of all, did it tell you something you didn't know? It did not surprise me. Okay. And I will also say I have taken it before for other projects, okay. and so you knew the outcome was different huh? oh, this time. Well, I bet it is, depending on where you are in your life and how long ago you took it. I'm sure it could be different. I took it like two years ago, yeah. and yes, and that is some of the pushback that people give for tests like this, uh-huh. is that depending, like once you take it, you'll understand you're, you're literally reacting to images on the screen and Mm. somehow that algorithm then can tell you about yourself about yourself (laughs) and your implicit bias excellent and um steven would you end up with i am a slightly automated preference for african-americans over european americans fascinating quite apparently did that surprise you not really i teach black stuff (laughs) (laughs) it surprised me because it said slightly right And Not profoundly. Like, I, I am I am very much impacted by King. I, I, I always mention this, but it's like the idea it really is of trying to love and, and find people. And so for me, I, you know, I don't know. I love black people. I love white people. I feel oh, like God. you meet people where they are. I try. He does. Yeah. It's I a try. gift. Yeah, it is and, a gift. But, but it doesn't mean that you do. That's the reason why I... I am unapologetic when I'm holding people accountable for being out of, for, for not getting in alignment. Right. Yeah. And that's the part of it. I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm going to give you room. Okay, cool. You can't do this now. Let's do this. Yeah. Right. But then if you end up not doing anything, yeah. then it's I'm, I'm going to hold you accountable. So that's, that's my thing. I, yeah. I, I try to accept that people are going to do the best they can. So what about you, girl? Ooh. <laughs> what does it say? And I quote, your responses suggest a slight automatic preference for white people <gasps> over black people. Oh, my goodness. But <laughs> <laughs> you do, Lisa. She didn't, she didn't, went off black folks. She didn't Mine was the same as, no, it wasn't the same as Stevens. When I took it before, it said I had no preference. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This one said a slight but, preference. And that doesn't surprise you? You said it didn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise me because, like, we navigate a white world. So was I totally shook by that, that in that moment when I saw whatever flash across the screen that it was slightly more inclined towards white people in that moment? No. Do I feel that way on the inside? And you certainly don't come across that way. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Which I think is telling. 
Yeah, that's yeah. why that's why these things are fascinating yeah. to me. Ooh, I have to use that. I have to, have to file that away. You are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> file that away. You do yep. preference. <laughs> yep. That's yep. hilarious. <laughs> well, Slightly. I remember. <laughs> that Slightly. is so hilarious. No, wow. I, for me, I, I mean, I, anyway, I, I, I think these are exercises that ask you a question, right? To ask you to engage with the notion that you actually are influenced, right? That yes. you are influenced. Yeah. And so even, I think the part of the, the, even engaging with the test is about accepting the reality that yeah. there is True. a preference that exists there. Yes. And so, you know, for me, again, I, I really like black people a lot. So it doesn't blame, but I also understand, I mean, again, it, I think I've already said this on, on the show, but it was a professor and my professor in, in undergrad, it was a white professor who shifted my understanding of white folks in the sense that, because he was aware of the imperfections of whiteness, right? Mm -hmm. And he was quick to point them out and articulate them in detail better than I had in my head. Mm -hmm. And beginning with that allowed for me then to see him as a human being because mm -hmm. you can't begin a conversation. And this is, it's, it's the necessary step. I can't engage with people who can't accept the reality that they have racism right. within them. It's like, then we can start. Yeah. It's like, me too. Yeah. Like now let's figure <laughs> out how to get like to a point where we can serve our communities in a way that centers everybody. Like that's the thing, because black students benefit from white people being centered. Correct. And white students benefit from black people being centered. Yeah. That to see everybody held up, it says something about who we are as a community and how, how we love each other, right? And I think that to me uh, is what I'm all about. And the reason why I was excited to talk about this today, because I was like, for me, the idea of implicit bias is just accepting this truth, which will allow us to move past it to something more beautiful. And if we can't accept it, then it ain't no way to move forward. I say, I am down to work with any black person who can accept the reality that this system is racist. And there's like, no easier way to accept it than to know that it's unconscious, that you don't have to take full responsibility for it. So let's get to it. Right. Right. And then let's get to the work. Cause I don't the mean, work. I don't want to just point. I, I'm not here to like, I don't want to have to convince you. I don't care. If you don't believe it, cool. Then we just don't need to work together because right. we are not on the same page, right? Because to me, I'm about the liberation of black people from systematic racism. That's what most of the things I do is about. Like, how can we liberate us from that so that then we can be better yeah. astronauts? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so we can be like super astronauts, move in this world. But I think <laughs> most families in school with us are just at the point of just understanding what this term means. And, and at the door of maybe accepting they might have a little bit of implicit bias. And that it's not the end of the world. That they're human. But I still think there are quite a few in the community who just, they're not. So that's where I'm living. I'm living in how do we help people understand well, those to people be human beings. That, that struggle deeply. I mean, everyone struggles with coming to the consensus that they have some form of racism or implicit bias but those people that are deep in that struggle can go have a seat and it's almost and like we blissful can start, ignorance correct that's that's what i'm like just stop so we'll in my opinion just start with those that are are open absolutely to absolutely. it start there start with the systems right, as yeah. we talked about yeah. and keep the ball moving forward yep. but at this point in 2020 if you're digging your heels in then, then go someplace I, I'm, I'm not see, putting the time much, in energy. I'm not that person. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I am. I am. See, here I am. 
if you're in a position of power, sit down. Yes. Right. I'm going to sit you right. down. It's, a, it's I got to go to war with you because you are ruining the world as I need it to be. But if you're not empowered and you're a parent who's still trying to learn, I'm like, I'll take time with you to go on your journey. But you journey. said still trying to learn. I'm right. talking about the folks that are adamant about like. I'm absolutely, I want them to bring, and this is the thing that I, I heard, one of my professors put this, he was like, look, all right, bring me your evidence. Let's have a conversation. You bring me your evidence, I'll bring me my, bring my evidence, let's have a conversation. Now, if you're not willing to do that, then you should sit down. But that's the way you nicely tell people. I, I'm offering everybody who wants to bring me your evidence. Let's talk about it, you know, and then let's have this. Let's have a debate about it based off of merits, because there are people who don't believe that racism exists. Yes. And so I'm actually not saying like I'm not the guy who'd be like, oh, well, don't talk to me. I was like, no, please bring me your evidence. Yeah. Help me understand how the system that, that you know, has been articulated yeah. for a long time doesn't exist in your perspective. Let me see the facts. Yep. Uh, and, and, the, and the truth is it sharpens. Uh, it sharpens your sword. It sharpens your ability to speak truth if you're able to hear someone who has a diverging position, especially if they're super passionate about it. And, and I'm happy to do so. But, you know, if I, a think, pers- I think that's why we are where we are in America. Right. It's the polarization, people digging their feet in and not being willing to just have a conversation in the middle. Most of the time, the tenets of it are on both sides are the same. That's the craziest right, truth. Right. Like the tenets are the same. Like the notions <laughs> yeah. are like, oh, yeah. I just want this to be better and fairer for everybody. Right. And the truth is, everybody wants that. And I was like, a lot, a lot of times, the truth people, is, what people people misidentify the enemy, but they uh, we are, we are taught that we're each other's enemies. We're taught to hate poor white people. Poor white people ain't our enemy. You know what I'm saying? No, poor but white I'm still on the part where you not, said everybody wants it to be fair and equal and new. No, sir. No, I will say that you're, I, I, let me say this, that, you know, King said what? That, that, that it, you know, history's long and it bends towards justice. I, yes. I feel that. So I think that the majority of people yes, I would agree. Are, are doing what they think is best. I think that Trump is doing what he think is best. Right. I thought that, I, especially uh, W, no, especially no. W, W was doing what he thought was best based off of his lived experience. Yes, yes. The da- his dad did not know that you could scan stuff at the grocery store because his lived experience you was he never tell done me that. that Donald Trump is doing what he thinks is best. He does for himself. Yes. He is doing <laughs> okay. what he thinks is best for himself. So I'm saying he's okay, not. Okay, but, but that's uh, different from doing what he thinks is best. There's no, no, no. Wait, what difference. is the difference? You're adding the who he's supposed to be doing it for. Only God determines and the individual determines what who they're doing it for. I'm saying that he's not coming from a place where he's doing stuff to hurt. He's just doing what he thinks is best based off of his life mission, right? He's about taking advantage of loopholes. He's about filing for bankruptcy. He's about doing whatever he can that helps him out this best. That's his ideology. And the reason why people are following him are not because they are idiots. It's because they see that this system is not fair. So they're like, frick it. I want somebody who's also gaming the system. system. Like, let's (laughs) teach me how to game the system because the system is is not fair to everybody. And so I'm saying that when we're trying to to get people to come to our side, then we have to understand why they are where they are mm-hmm. and what it's all about. It's not about hate for us. It's about love for them. Like they are really hurting and, and they need some articulation of how to get past this hurt. And so to me, 40% of this country are voting for Trump. 40% of this country are voting for Biden. And then there are people in the middle who are like swayed and whatever. That's the way the world works right now that we exist in. And, and I don't see the future. I don't see transformative change coming 
by us just focusing on the 20% in the middle. Mm -hmm. I think that we really have to stop digging in and not talking to each other and start finding those three or four issues that we all agree on Mm -hmm. and and moving past the smoke screens because Mm -hmm. we got to get together to move us forward as a country. I love being American. It's something that I did not love for a long time when I was growing up. I I really hated this country because of the lived experience I had of the fact that my dad was called boy by white men as a child, but the fact that I was in handcuffs, but I can't tell you dozens of times I've been in handcuffs uh, for doing nothing but being black. By having uh, me, whenever I had successes, people identified it because of affirmative action mm-hmm. or because of other things, other than the fact that I busted my butt and did what I did. So I'm saying that the truth is, is that I most definitely understand the frustration in terms of race, but I also understand that 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 to move the country forward, right, uh, we have to also look at the blessings that exist, right. And the truth is, is that Barack Obama was president, and that civil rights happened more black people are employed, that we are overrepresented in the Congress in terms of percentages versus the people we mm-hmm, actually have mm-hmm. in this country. I'm saying that there are gains in the middle of the fact that there, and again, like I'm doing with this documentary, MLK says we have both come a long, long way, but we have a long way to go. And I think if you take that into it, you say, all right, the way we get there is going to be together. There needs to be us. There needs yep. to be love. It's not a way I can take 20% to move this country forward. I need to at least have 50% of the country yeah. with me. And the only way I get that is by breaking down some of these things that people have, have set up in terms of these 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 narratives that don't serve us. And I think that is what implicit bias conversations are all about. It's saying, look, the narrative teaches you that you're right to feel that white power should be there and that black people are the reason why you don't have access. Affirmative action is the reason why you don't have access. Yeah. Not the reality that 1% of the people who are on the dough are not giving you access either one of us access to understand who true enemies are. And I think that's the way we begin having these narratives is to understand these simple truths. And and I don't know. So I'm inspired. I want to lead us forward. I want us to move forward. And the only way we move forward is by understanding our own biases so that then we can show empathy, emotions, spiritual connections with people to help them move out of their biases. Because if you can't accept you, uh, and your imperfection, you can't ask anyone to look at them and their imperfection. Ooh, amen. Thank you for bringing that full circle. He sure did. He sure did. <laughs> wow. You said a lot, but you were so on point. And that is what implicit bias leads to. Amen. It's our time. It is our time. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Tune in next Thursday. Remember to rate, review, subscribe via erasedpodcast.com that's erased with a c or look for us on instagram or facebook also at erased podcast remember to check out the profs movie yes a king in paradise www.akinginparadise.com <laughs> check it out come join the team uh we're we're doing some great things about talking about what this moment has uh, in terms of uh, of lessons uh what, what mlk's life has in terms of lessons for this moment as we look to bring about sustainable change in the area of systematic racism. So please join, check it out. Fellow astronauts. Yep. Yep. You're going to give us your, your liner so we can close. (laughs) Uh, Well, the the thing that I employ everybody to do is to stop doing cool ass shit. Right. (laughs) And it's important to note that that ain't just the thing. That's the thing, right? The reality is we got to stop 
co-signing on bullshit. That's all. Like we have to be Across really aware. The board. That, like yeah, <laughs> we have to be like no implicit bias exists, sister. Let's just get there and let's move forward, right? Okay, I get. I, we all have it, right? Let's move forward. You can't start. Co- but I, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want you to feel like a racist. So I'm gonna use. I'm gonna. I'm gonna back away from the truth. Like no, people need the truth. And the people who can't dance with you with the truth need to just move on, right? You can't. I'm saying you can't. They People have to accept the truth. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A lot of times we do cool-ass shit that yes. make people feel comfortable with stuff that ain't true. Correct. Right? Yeah. And it's just important that we don't. We, we stand up and we hold people accountable. So anyway, yes, I, I'm excited and committed to the reality of not doing cool-ass shit. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.